The global food system accounts for an estimated 30% of global carbon emissions. The current demands associated with the way we produce and consume food accounts for 80% of all land use change globally, a key driver of habitat and biodiversity loss. Yet a third of food continues to be lost or wasted yearly. Our current model of production, consumption and processing is not sustainable. But how can we move away from a single-use, take-make-waste approach and towards one that uses innovative solutions to eliminate pollution and circulate materials? This is Inside the Circle, a podcast from Economist Impact, exploring the circular economy in action. My name is Martin Kering, and I'm a senior manager and I lead the sustainability, climate change and natural resources practice. This podcast is supported by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. In this episode, we will be unpacking the circular economy for food, the technologies and business models being pioneered to design, source and use food in more circular ways, and the interventions needed to elevate these efforts further. The circular economy refers to an economic system where waste and pollution are eliminated. Products and materials are circulated at their highest value for as long as possible, and nature is regenerated. But what does this mean in the context of food? Winnie Yegon, Food Systems Analyst at the FAO, an African Food Systems Leadership Fellow, explains and puts this in the context of a food systems approach. What we mean when we talk about a circular economy of food looks at how do we interact between what we take out of the ecosystem and what we put back into the ecosystem because food does not come out of a vacuum. So we have factors, drivers, elements and components uh, within which food is uh, produced. So when we talk of circular economy for food, we talk about the resources that we take out of our ecosystem while at the same time looking at what do we put back into the ecosystem from which we take out of, as well as looking at how do we take out of our ecosystem to ensure that uh, we minimize the negative implications of our actions and productivity elements uh, when it comes to food uh, production and food systems. Building off this, Rob Cameron, Global Head of Public Affairs and ESG Engagement at Nestle, speaks of circularity as a tool to transform our food system. Whilst a lot of people said the pandemic shows the fragility of our food systems, I'm not sure that that's true. I think in some senses, the food systems stood up really remarkably well. And, and in some ways, that's a good thing. But it's also got some negatives because it means that changing the system is evidently quite hard because it, it, the food systems are quite resilient. And let's be really clear. Food systems, as we understand them today, are not fit for purpose. They simply are not. And so we need the food and agriculture to become a source of solutions. And we at Nestle think that is possible, but we're going to have to go through some fairly substantial changes to make it so. Now, when it comes to how those changes should be put into effect, uh, the idea of a circular food system is a really important one. I think it starts with one simple idea. In nature, there is no such thing as waste. There simply isn't any waste in nature. Everything gets reused. If we're talking about circular economy for food and talking about circular food design, how do we do that then? Well, three key start points. Firstly, if you're using resources that you don't need to use, stop doing it. Eliminate waste. Second, circulate. 
one way to remove waste is don't put stuff in back into the environment with negative impacts, but keep it in the economy once it's got there. So circulate. And thirdly, regenerate. And that, I think, is a theme that we need to keep coming back to in this conversation. So those three themes, really important. But I think we need to go even further than that. And we need to think in terms of the elements of regeneration. So you know, we need to reduce the impact, we need to upcycle, we need more diversity in our ingredients, and regeneration, absolutely key. The food system can be broken down into two core components, food production and food consumption. Food loss occurs at the food production level, while food waste is prevalent at the consumption level. For Turner Wyatt, founder and CEO of the Upcycled Food Association, and Philip Schule, global impact manager at Too Good To Go, Transitioning toward a circular economy for food requires an understanding of why and how food is either lost or wasted in the first place. I think it's important to recognize a difference in two types of food loss and waste in terms of why it's being wasted. So if you think about the food loss that's going to waste because it's too ugly or because the grocery store that was going to buy it backed out or because of the market conditions of the weather or those things that are outside of the control of the farmers... But then there's some waste that's inherent. For example, spent grain. There's a lot of businesses that are taking spent grain and upcycling it into new products. And I'm speaking, of course, of spent grain from the beer brewing process. And so no matter how efficient we make the beer brewing process and the rest of the food system, there's always going to be this byproduct, this co-product which in my mind is just another ingredient. It's not a byproduct. And so we also have to figure out not just how to make our food system more efficient, because that will only get us part of the way there. We also have to figure out what are we going to do with all of these co-products, these byproducts that are inherently produced alongside the conventional foods that we already purchase. Um, when I researched the topic of food waste for my master thesis, uh, what I decided was to drive around and visit different potato farmers in Denmark, meet logistic providers, meet with supermarkets to really find out, you know, why is so much going to waste? It is that we as society have become so accustomed to always have produce that has exactly the right color, the right size and the right shape. And so in itself, you know, we have this kind of perfection design in our heads that makes us feel that a banana has to be completely a certain shape, that a cucumber is not allowed to be imperfect, as some people call it. And I think in that sense, because we are so accustomed to having this perfect produce and that perfect design, a lot of food is actually going to waste. And I think that is a massive issue that starts at the very production stage at the very farm. In that regard, interventions to encourage a more circular economy for food are multifold. But minimizing the volume of food being lost or wasted should be the priority. So looking at the hierarchy of addressing our food waste and losses, the first intervention is to look at how do we minimize our food waste and losses by introducing systems such as market information systems for better coordination of uh, the production end and the consumer end. But the question now comes in, what do we do with all the food that we have produced? Because not all the food that we have produced makes it to the table. So we have food losses at the farm level, then we have food waste at retail and consumer level. So you would find in cases where high levels of food waste at the farm level are as a result of market inefficiencies, where a farmer does not have access 
to the market side. And uh, once we have addressed uh, reduction of food waste, we now go to repurposing and redistribution of food. So before we go to the last option, which is uh, recycling using things such as a composting, food is produced for human consumption. We do not produce food for us to go and compost. I don't think there's any farmer that goes to the farm to produce tomatoes, uh, vegetables and fruits and dairy products to go into composting. So composting is the last option because if all mechanisms have failed and we now have food waste. So instead of the food waste going into further waste, composting now comes in to now see how we can maximize value out of what we have already lost. This episode is supported by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Let's hear from them on the circular economy. Coca-Cola's Universal Bottle is a standardised two-litre bottle and the company use it for drinks like Coke, Fanta and Sprite, different brands all in a bottle of the same shape, size and colour. This makes collection, cleaning and filling much easier and the Universal Bottle has been in use in Latin America as part of the company's refillable strategy. The bottle can be refilled 25 times, reducing overall plastic use by 90% and in total, the Universal Bottle has allowed Coca-Cola to replace 200 million non-refillable bottles each year. Reusing one of these bottles generally means about a 20% discount for the customer. It's good for the business. It drives efficiency in logistics, in capital investments and in storage, while also building customer loyalty. The global commitment was launched by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation in 2018 in partnership with the UN Environment Programme. And now the commitment unites more than 500 organisations, representing more than 20% of all the plastic packaging produced globally, behind a common vision and ambitious 2025 targets towards a circular economy for plastic. Coca-Cola are a signatory of that global commitment, and this year the company announced a new global goal to reach 25% reusable packaging by 2030. So its aim is that one in every four servings across its portfolio of brands by volume is served in reusable packaging by that point. The shift to a circular economy means we need to develop and scale upstream solutions. These are the innovations that go beyond recycling and reduce the need for single-use packaging in the first place. There's a metaphor that we really like. If you found that your bath was overflowing, you wouldn't just start mopping up the water, you'd turn off the tap. That's what we mean by upstream, treating the root cause, not just the symptoms. Actors across the food system all have a key role to play in the circular economy for food. At the production level, producers and food processing companies can encourage more regenerative or nature-positive agricultural practices. But what do these entail? Regenerative food production systems and nature-positive food production systems have elements. The core of these approaches is similar in that they are both focused on looking at environmental sustainability so in regenerative food production practices, you would have more focus on soil health and uh, biosystems, while nature-positive food production systems uh, looks at it beyond just the soil. So it looks at influences like the social impacts of our food systems on lifestyles and the well-being of the people within the ecosystem. In that sense, by thinking about how food is designed, what ingredients we use, how we use them, and how they are sourced, 
Companies can encourage more circular food production practices. Putting farmers at the center is a crucial way to enable regenerative practices to thrive. So in line with the Science-Based Targets Initiative, we have committed to reduce our emissions by 20% by 2025 and 50% by 2030, notwithstanding growth. Now, how do we do that? Well, so as a company that depends upon agriculture, it's not a great surprise that the vast majority of our emissions, two-thirds in fact, uh, come from our agricultural supply chains. So we need to do something quite dramatic in supply chains to get across this. And what we've committed to is to spark regenerative agriculture in our supply chain. And, and for us, regenerative agriculture, there are many different definitions. So firstly, put the farmer at the centre, because we need farmers right at the centre of a regenerative food system. So with the farmer at the centre, then we think about soil health and what it means to create and encourage healthy soils. For that to work, we need to protect biodiversity, so that's the next component. We need to ensure that we're looking after the water, uh, and we also need to manage livestock, because in a regenerative agriculture system, you know, rather than relying on chemical fertilizers, there's a terrific role for livestock. So that's, that's just one of the ways in which us thinking about food design and thinking about what we want to achieve, we can help to stimulate regenerative agriculture. Um, we've got a long project, it's, it's been in place now for some years, called Living Soils in Northern France, which we've been working on with Earthworm. And the Living Soils Project, I mean, the clue is in the name, uh, that there you have this expanse of farmland in northern France where the soil health, you listen to the farmers and they, they were saying that the soil health has been going down and down and down and down and they get more and more and more worried. And they're growing their potatoes and wheat uh, vegetables, mainly for ingredients, um, so going into food manufacture. Uh, and, and they want to secure their future. So with the Earth Firm, the whole idea is to bring in regenerative practices and we're already seeing that the soil health coming back. Final point on this around working with farmers. You know, I think one of the things that we've got to remember is that there's a lot of pressures on farmers. I mean, every farmer you speak to is constantly thinking about the next harvest. Now, we can't just impose change on farmers. We have to work with them. And this idea of a just transition is, I think, really important to us. So we talk about a just, just transition in climate. We're also talking about a just transition towards regenerative food systems. Designing food in a more circular way also means making use of upcycled byproducts and production side streams in innovative ways. While investment in R&D and technological developments are key for this, some solutions are surprisingly simple. If we're thinking about circular food design and we're thinking about regenerative food systems, R&D is such an important part of this because we, it, it's really, there's so much comes from it, unless they invest huge amounts. Some of it's actually incredibly simple. So, for example, in Germany, there's this problem that often is happening with supermarkets who reject fruits and vegetables that aren't to consumers' tastes in terms of look, the, the ugly uh, vegetables, shall we say. So we're using that as a side stream for soups, for example. That doesn't take a huge amount of technology development, but the technology development helps in other ways. So, for example, we have an R&D centre in Abidjan, Ivory Coast. Now, in West Africa, uh, this is a, an example of, a, I think, a wonderful success story. We have a very, very well-known product called Milo. Sorghum is one of the key ingredients. 
but we're really extracting the malt from the sorghum. We're not doing much else with the rest of it. But our R&D centre in Abidjan wanted to figure out, well, what do we do with the leftovers of this sorghum? What we ended up coming up with is a product called Golden Morn. Golden Morn is a sorghum-based porridge. It's very, very affordable. What it provides is a really accessible, inexpensive, very nutritious morning breakfast. In order to scale up these food redesign innovations, being in tune with consumer demand is crucial. The one that would really support upscaling is also looking at the demand side angle because as we promote upscaling and uh, recycling and uh, looking at uh, how do we maximize and utilize value out of the byproducts of agricultural systems, then we need to create demand for these products. So as we promote the use of some of these uh, byproducts, which I know is very good for the environment and is really beneficial and helpful for the ecosystem, but on the consumer end, who is driving the demand for this product? So we probably need to now look at the consumer end and create more awareness on the importance of uh, maximizing the value out of what we produce within the food system, minimize the environmental negative effects, so that we can work together towards now promoting this more eco-friendly uh, products. Efforts by Upcycled Food Association are seeking to address this very issue. So upcycling contributes to a more circular economy for food by elevating all food to its highest and best use and engaging consumers to be a part of that solution, empowering consumers to prevent food waste with the products they buy. And this is unique because so many of the solutions to food waste that are already out there engage industry players, business to business, but consumers are the worst offenders of food waste, and so it's important to engage consumers in any solution to food waste. And so what Upcycled Food Association is doing is not actually innovating any of these technologies around upcycling ourselves, but identifying what are the industry-wide factors that are inhibiting the industry's growth. So we're not the ones who are creating the technologies or the supply chains that allow for new upcycled ingredients or products to be created. That's being done by our 200 members that are out there across more than 15 countries and they're creating these delicious products out of otherwise wasted byproducts. Byproducts of manufacturing like cascara, cacao fruit, spent grain, juice pulp, uh, avocado seeds, the list goes on and on and on and on. So Upcycled Food Association is creating a more circular economy for food by increasing demand for the whole set of upcycled products. And we're doing that by better understanding what are the barriers that these products are experiencing to growing at scale. And basically what we're finding about the upcycled industry is that people love it. People want to buy more upcycled products. They like them. They're willing to pay for them. They want to seek them out. But of course, in order to buy these products, to seek them out and to integrate them into your kitchen or your home, you have to know what they are. And so the study that I quote almost every single day is that 80% of people want to buy upcycled products, but currently less than 10% of people know what upcycled products are. And so that's a problem. Beyond engaging the consumer, developing the supply chains to bring these products to market is equally important. 
So in some cases, it's not necessarily a technology that's being created, but a supply chain. So for example, cascara or coffee fruit or coffee cherry, it's the fruit from the coffee plant. And equal parts by weight to the coffee bean, which we consume at massive scale to make coffee, the drink, but there's no market for cascara yet, or at least not as big as the coffee bean. And so it just piles up at the coffee plantation. It piles up and it leaches uh, into the water supply. But in reality, if we utilize that ingredient, it's healthy, it's nutritious, it's packed with antioxidants, it's, uh, it's delicious. You can make all kinds of stuff out of it. Flour, beverages, tea, you name it. And so the stuff is already out there and it's being produced inherently as a co-product of the coffee industry, but it's not being sold widely. And so to sell it widely, you have to set up new ways for that to be distributed and processed and retailed. And so not necessarily is there new technology being created to do something, you know, process or change the cascara inherently itself. Sometimes it's just the supply chain that's being innovated. And we're seeing that across the upcycled industry with all kinds of examples. And to take these innovations one step further, businesses should aim to think of the bigger picture from the get-go. So top innovations in the upcycled industry, I think, are finding ways to scale a business in a platform type of way. If you talk to any venture capitalists, they don't want to just invest in a run-of-the-mill food company. They want to invest in a food company that has you know, trademarked intellectual property or some kind of platform that can apply to various solutions across their industry. So I'm not talking about just someone who creates and sells one single food product, um, which is also important and impressive and a really hard business to start and run, by the way. But the most innovative ones are the ones who also figure out, how do I create some kind of platform that has a wider implication on the food system and more broad way of creating value for more than just one entity type. Circular food production innovations are interlinked with food consumption patterns. So innovative business models also need to help food services and consumers work together to adopt more circular consumption habits. I truly believe that businesses are the catalysts for change. And, and what I mean with that is that in the way they also adopt sustainable business models and how they basically also embed surplus food in the way they do business. Because just to give you one example, you know, a bakery finds it very difficult to predict the amount of bread it might have to produce on a daily basis because you don't know how many people might turn up and every day. You know, it's very difficult to forecast. So what we are suggesting, instead of seeing that surplus as waste, why don't we use this surplus and give it to somebody else at a reduced price. And that is where Too Good To Go started. What we provide is an application that allows food businesses with a surplus food to connect with hungry consumers in the neighborhood and to be able to sell their produce at a reduced price. And this pretty much is a win-win-win scenario. So of course, the win for the consumers is that they are able to get perfectly edible, beautiful food at a reduced price and are able to discover new food businesses in the area. Food businesses are able to attract a new clientele, but also be able to generate revenue from things that they would otherwise throw away. And of course, and I think this is important for our discussion, the biggest win of all is, of course, for the environment, as we make sure that all food produced is also food consumed. The innovative solutions, ideas and technologies are there. 
But to scale these up, policies and regulations are key, as these can act as hurdles as well as opportunities. The key regulatory uh, hurdle that we encountered was that a lot of produce that ends up going to waste is wasted because it is past the best before date. This is the case because regulation does not allow producers, manufacturers or retailers to sell produce that is close or after the best before date. Spain is now adopting a new food waste bill that allows this to happen so that this uh, selling of produce is possible. But a lot of countries still do not allow this to happen. At the same time, you might think that a lot of regulation might be a hurdle, but we also saw that for Too Good To Go, some of the regulation in place is actually also helping us to expand. And one example of this is that the beauty around the European Union is that we have pretty much one streamlined kind of single rule book that allows us to expand into different countries within Europe under the same legislation and the same regulations. And that really allowed Too Good To Go to really scale up and really bring that circular model at scale very, very quickly. So what developments are needed in this space? The policies, I would say, uh, need to improve on how we bring in the issue of interconnectedness because Traditionally, we have been operating in silos. So when we want to address matters, food and nutrition security, traditionally, the angle has been going towards improving productivity. But over the years, especially now with the recent events, you know, what happened with the COVID pandemic and how it disrupted our food systems, it made us think through how sustainable our food systems are and shift from just focusing on yields and increasing productivity because when you look at food and nutrition security, it goes beyond just the availability of food. So we need to understand that food needs to be affordable, food needs to be accessible. And accessible is beyond just uh, having the physical accessibility of the food, but also how easy is it for the community to access the food in monetary terms. So when you talk of policy, as we transition and as we move towards more sustainable food systems, it will be very important for us to involve all the key stakeholders that, are, that have a say that would probably contribute a lot to how we transform our food systems. So we need a framework where now the different departments and the different sectors with different mandates, how do they now come together and address the food system in one voice? And uh, that is where now we bring in through the systems thinking, the aspect of zooming in and zooming out. So zooming out, we look at the food system holistically, looking at the different actors, the different players, how they interact, how they influence each other. Then now we zoom in. So now once we have understood our food system and once we now have a clearer picture of where we are and where we want to go, then we can all now take a step back and work together towards that particular goal. More specifically, Economic incentives in the form of nature-positive subsidies can help encourage more regenerative food production. I think from a policy point of view, there is a real issue around incentives and subsidies. Uh, it's a complex area, but what we want from policymakers uh, are subsidies and incentives that encourage nature-positive food production. Uh, and I, I, frankly, I'm not sure that that's always the case at the moment. But I think when it comes to looking at the whole area of incentives and subsidies for nature-positive food production, you also have to think of it in terms of social impacts as well. So I think one of the reasons why we have the incentives systems 
and subsidy systems that we do is that policymakers are looking to protect jobs uh, and ensure that people have good availability at a reasonable price of the core goods and services that they need, whether it's energy, whether it's food, whatever. So it's going to need a new type of thinking to ensure that jobs are protected and created uh, and economies are supported as we transition towards I think the inevitability, which is a subsidies and incentives regime, which is more nature positive than the one we have at the moment. Misconceptions around date labeling is another issue and is something that needs to be tackled through consumer awareness, business partnerships and policy incentives. Too good to go's look, smell, taste, don't waste campaign, for instance, is a partnership between like-minded businesses and organizations, one of them being Nestle, seeking to raise consumer awareness and fill the current regulatory gaps in this space. And I think there's an awful lot to be said for mindset shifts. And for mindset shifts, people need information and they need, need opportunities to understand better. And if you look at, for example, food labeling, that was there to try and help consumers. But I think it's become a bit confusing when you've got use-by dates and sell-by dates and best-before dates and, and so on. So we've been involved in the UK in a campaign called Look, Smell, Taste. And really what it's designed to do is to help consumers to understand that actually they can take control of this. This is not something where food has become uh, dangerous in any way, shape or form. I truly believe that collaboration is the key here. Um, we know that one entity alone will never be able to uh, solve a systemic issue and the food waste issue is a systemic issue. So we need partners, we need collaboration, we need partnerships between businesses, the public space, but also with consumers trying to really make sure that everybody is on board and trying to make change happen. And this is also what we basically started off with our initiative um, for date labeling. There's actually 10% of all the food that is currently being wasted in the EU alone is down to how we perceive date labels on packages. So at the moment in the EU, you have two different dates. You have a use-by date and a best-before date. While a use-by date is completely down to food safety, so you should really make sure that you follow that date and that basically you try not to eat the food after that date. But the vast majority of produce out there has a best-before date. And this has absolutely nothing to do with food safety. And yet all the consumers still perceive it as a date that they always have to follow, even though it only means until when food is perfectly edible, it has the optimal quality. And so what we decided with Too Good To Go is how about we start partnering with businesses to adopt a pictogram that says, look, smell, taste, don't waste, to educate consumers that instead of throwing away a produce, they should open it, look at it, smell it and taste it before they start uh, wasting it. And I think this is something that has become extremely powerful, um, not only as a message, but also as a campaign and initiative to bring businesses together. So manufacturers, retailers, to help to educate consumers as well around food and really creating this circular economy through collaboration in many different ways. In that sense, changing contemporary attitudes to food can really help to push these efforts further. There are massive gaps when it comes to education. And this is also why we as Too Good To Go really want to push even further when we come to raising awareness for the issue and really to help build the circular economy going forward. Because what I believe is that we have lost the respect for food. And how I like to explain it is on the three A's. And the first A being association. Association means that we have become so dislinked and so dissociated from where food is coming from. We have no idea who the farmer is who produced this food, the amount of energy, sweat and tears that went into that food. And that makes us value food less. 
The second one is affluence, that we as society have become, you know, more and more affluent, but we're spending less and less money on food. And because we're spending less money on food, we're also more prone to waste it at the same time. And the, and the third one being abundance, meaning that we have so much food available to us every single day. All the shelves around supermarkets are always full. And that means that we can take as much as we want and also dispose as much as we want. And if we make sure that people become more respectful of food and more connected to food, ultimately that will also lead a lot of people to think more circularly in the first place. The food system is a reminder of the coordinated support needed from consumers, businesses and policymakers alike if we are to scale the technologies and solutions we have at hand. In a nutshell, we need a mind shift on how we approach and solve challenges within the food system from isolated thinking to system thinking. We need to zoom in and out while at different levels of the sector, we still need diverse expertise of uh, the different elements uh, of the food system. We should all know that we are part of a system. No one works in isolation. My actions affect someone and someone's actions affect me. So our success of the different actors in the food system really needs us to work together. I would say that we are at a very exciting turning point. Um, we have all the solutions at our hand. You know, we don't have to reinvent the wheel. I think nature gave us the perfect example of how to create a circular system where everything is regenerative, everything is sustainable, all is within a circle of life in a certain way. And I would not understand why we would not be able to do this for food as well. That's it for today's episode. In our next episode, we continue our discussion on the circular economy in the context of fashion. For more information, log on to impact.economist.com forward slash sustainability. Thanks again to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation for supporting this program.